0: and accelerate your success.
1: Hi, I'm Nikki Barua, your host for today's episode. If you want to make a difference and not just make a living, then learn how businesses can be a force for good and partner with nonprofits to create impact together. Meet Danielle Hawley, CEO of Common Impact, an organization that designs programs with corporations to empower their people in addressing social challenges. Danielle has helped numerous corporations navigate the new era in corporate social responsibility and skills-based volunteering, including global powerhouses like JP Morgan Chase, Charles Schwab, Marriott International, and Fidelity Investments. Danielle envisions a world where every person is able to bring their values and personal mission to their day jobs, integrate healthy and sustainable personal lives, and as a result, have the drive and energy to make our communities more equitable, and vibrant. In this episode, Danielle shares her perspective on the transformation that can happen when people from different perspectives, disciplines, and backgrounds come together to create lasting change. She also reveals how she's personally adapting to a world that is evolving rapidly and requires new skills and bold perspectives. Visit imbeyondbarriers.com where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources in this episode, including the best way to get in touch with Danielle. Hi, Danielle. Welcome. Thanks for joining us on the show.
2: Thank you for having me, Nikki. Really excited to be here.
1: Awesome. Well, let's start off with your personal story. I'm so curious to learn about the making of Danielle.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Never thought about it that way. Uh, So I was born and bred in New York, and my professional story starts at the beginning of another crisis actually uh we're talking right now in the middle of COVID 19 and uh my i graduated college right after september 11th and was um headed to a career in media and television i had a great internship with peter jennings at abc news and i was about to take off on my fabulous media career and then there was a complete blackout and um that fell through and I had no idea what I was going to do next. And um, I actually was talking to someone this morning and this has been a theme of my experience. Uh, And he said, one of common impacts, the organization that I run board members said, never let a good crisis go to waste. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) It's very present in my mind at the moment. Um, Anyway, I, I, I didn't, and I ended up at the New York Stock Exchange for a couple of years uh, through a random set of connections and coincidences, and so I was uh, suddenly working in finance and in the belly of the beast, and my day really ended at four when the bell rang, and so I was doing a lot of volunteer work, what I would now call skilled volunteerism, and And working for nonprofits in the evenings and on the weekends doing their financial modeling, their books, essentially what I was doing during the day, but for organizations who couldn't string together 500 bucks to hire a proper bookkeeper. Uh, And that experience was, you know, a very short period of my life, I'd say two and a half, three years, but it was incredibly defining and just, you know, walking down the block from the captains of industry to small organizations that were doing incredibly critical work and didn't have the resources to do it. And it got me hooked on the opening the doors between sectors and creating understanding and also the skill sharing amongst different organizations. And that's still what I'm doing today. So got hooked uh, and was a good way to take advantage of a crisis.
1: Wow. And that's fascinating that you went from, uh, it's almost like you told a story about what happens between two major crises between 9-11 to 2020. Um, but it, what's also interesting to me is uh, you know, the kind of shifts um, that you made in your career and to go from media and television to Wall Street and literally the stock exchange to now being in the nonprofit world. What are the set of competencies, if you will, that allowed you to seamlessly move between such diverse sets of um, career paths?
2: I just have had to be, as we all do, a chameleon of sorts, right? To be able to know and learn the language, know what you know, know what you don't know, and have confidence in your core ability to learn. And that's something that I've always been excited to have, right? There is, I've never worried that I couldn't get something done or couldn't do something. I just, uh, didn't know yet what I had to learn. And so, um, and it, it was necessitated by the crisis too. Like I didn't have that peace of mind and that wisdom when I was 21 years old and I was suddenly out of a job during uh, economic recession. I just, I made it work. I made it happen. I worked hard and I figured it out. Um, But that experience and the fact that I figured out how to figure it out really helped give me the confidence to do it again and again in my career
1: yeah uh, that's uh, fantastic, because confidence is truly built on evidence of success, and the more you do and the more successful you get, the more your confidence rises and you 're a great example of that what across all of those experiences, um, what would you describe as your superpower that translates so well across such diverse um, careers and industries
2: what i and i 'm calling on this right now, what I would claim as a superpower is the the ability to stay calm and have a vision in chaos. Mm. So I I actually it's it's also it also has a shadow side, a weakness side, which I'll I'll share. But the more chaotic and the more ambiguous and the noisier things get and my environment gets, the more clarity I have around what priorities are and what my goals are and try to inspire others around those goals. And I think that is also, uh, you know, at moments like this where we are literally talking about issues of life and death every day, the small stuff disappears, right? Like Mm -hmm. the small political dynamics, the battles that we were fighting a couple months ago don't matter as much anymore. Um, And so that's what I, that's what I, have relied on in in times like this and in general, but especially.
1: Mm-hmm. So you reference the dark side. Tell me about that.
2: I sweat the small stuff. <laughs> 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 so you're uh, truly a
1: wartime CEO.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, I, I the the worst environment for me to be in is when the thing that I'm doing is working perfectly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're in good economic times, we're growing as an organization, everyone is doing their job really well, and everything is going ultimately according to plan. I can't handle it. <laughs> mm. Race under fire. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's much more interesting to me, um, professionally, to be the fixing, building, and growing uh, amongst challenges, so...
1: That's fantastic. I love that. Um, Well, so this is uh, the current environment is, you know, terrific fodder for your brilliance to come out, right? It's uh, in the midst of a global pandemic, economic crash, you know, all (laughs) kinds of issues, you know, people, uh, nonprofits really struggling. And uh, so um, only good things can come out of this, uh, you know, from based on your experience. I
2: like that framing. I love it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, so let's talk about um, Common Impact. Uh, you're the CEO of Common Impact and um, it's a very unique model. Tell us more about it.
2: Sure. So Common Impact is a nonprofit founded 20 years ago on the basic principle that the corporate world and the private sector had much more to give than their dollars and that their talent and their expertise and the skill sets of their people were actually their most strategic philanthropic asset. And so the core model is to pull together individuals from companies and build projects with nonprofits that of our... our strategic importance to those nonprofits, critical capacity building projects like strategic planning, like technology builds, like innovation, and identifying how corporate employees can engage and grow their own skills and talents through those projects. And so the model is that companies engage with common impact and invest in common impact to make these projects run. And the end result we call it a win-win-win for everyone. The companies have engaged their employees and have built their brand within the community. The corporate employees that participate have developed their own skills. There's nothing that fosters creativity and innovation more than a nonprofit environment where you're Mm -hmm. working with very minimal resources. And then for the nonprofits, they get critical capacity building support that they don't typically have from foundations or funders. Uh, and so that's the, the core model.
1: What's one of your favorite examples of um, work that was done with corporate partners?
2: Oh, there are too many. That's such a hard question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's one project. It was now years ago but it stays in my mind uh, with a organization in Texas called Educational First Steps. And they um, our one of our partners, Fidelity Investments worked with them on um, operations project, which doesn't sound all that intriguing, right? People don't find operations all that sexy, but it was. Uh, so the, the organization itself was a, um, it's certified child care centers, um, children in their zero to three. And um, the operational assessment that Fidelity did allowed them to drive those certification timelines down from five years to three years, which still sounds like a long time, but it immediately after a couple of months of service from this Fidelity team, the organization was able to serve 33% more children immediately because they were able to certify more child care centers more quickly and they they did it just by looking at the operational process and applying the lean and six sigma business skills that they had acquired within the corporate sector and it was just a a, it's a perfect example to me of how this sort of service can have such an immediate impact on the community
1: that's um, truly remarkable. That's, uh, that's got to be so gratifying for the team that worked on it. I mean, the level of fulfillment and sense of impact that they've created has got to be pretty profound.
2: Oh, completely. Yeah. One of them actually joined the board of directors. And just in general, particularly the millennial workforce, they want to have social impact as part of their day job. And they're Mm -hmm. making their career decisions based on what their companies are doing for the community and society. And so to have this experience where you can sit at your desk at Fidelity and have Mm -hmm. that sense of purpose and understand that, you're in a corporate culture that really values that is uh, it's just, it's smart business as well as being really great philanthropy.
1: Right. Now you've um, shared trends and insights about millennials and the workforce. Um, What advice would you give to business leaders in particular when it comes to attracting talent or even retaining talent? Um.
2: The, The statistic that I am always surprised by that's the strongest that we've seen from these corporate social responsibility programs is, uh, yes, employees leave having developed skills. Yes, they leave more connected to their community. But the, the net promoter scores and the metrics that measure how excited employees are about corporate brand that they work for and continuing to work at the company are always the strongest. They Mm. see corporate social responsibility programs as an investment in employees. And so it's an incredible retention tool Mm. and double digit retention tools in terms of getting employees to stay past a year, three years, five years where the average, um, the average tenure Right now for the millennial population is about two years in shrinking mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, every time I look at it, which is an incredible challenge for employers. Um, and so it's just, it's it's smart business in addition to, I'd say, what is a general trend of companies moving from corporate social responsibility and philanthropy as being something that's a a legal and compliance function to a marketing function to something that's actually really integrated into the business people can tell when a company actually infuses purpose into its entire set of services and doesn't just think about it as a department and those are the sorts of programs that make it real for them.
1: Yeah, and it's um, it's kind of become part of the culture, you know, because if it's just lip service to do this one-off, it's not going to be perceived as truly authentic by, you know, the employees themselves. But if it's seen right. as a core to the company's culture and values, then um, there's a greater degree of belief and, and power to that.
2: Totally. Yeah, I think the sniff test is what we call it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And customers and em- employees are really savvy. They can mm-hmm. they can tell if you're just doing it for marketing purposes.
1: What does the ideal partnership look like?
2: One that is a real partnership. I mean, it sounds simple, but um, I think there's a lot of, particularly with nonprofits and companies, there's just a ton of power dynamics that exist and there's mm-hmm. a ton of Misconceptions and biases that exist, and actually, uh, you know, the moment in time that we're in when there's a crisis moment, those those are opportunities to break down old stereotypes and old partnerships, and um, really have a real conversation around what do what do we want to do together, right? Mm -hmm. Not so much from a um, nonprofit saying what do I need from you, company? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And company saying, what do you need from us and what should we give you? But more, what change do we want to make together? And Mm -hmm. it takes a lot of sophistication to have that conversation. And um, in all dynamics where the power dynamics and that shift is in the hands of the powerful, I think companies have a real role to play in opening up that conversation and making those partnerships feel really mutually Mm -hmm. beneficial. What
1: um, do you typically see as um, the most common traits of the leaders that are truly benevolent leaders or socially conscious leaders? Are there, you know, from your vantage point, you probably have conversations with a lot of companies, a lot of corporate leaders, and um, all kinds of um, people in different industries. You know, what do you see um, as the mark or you know, certain attributes?
2: That is, a, it's a great question. There are 15 that are swimming in my mind. <laughs> if I had to choose one, I would say it's the leaders that don't care that people know they're leading, right? Like it's mm. the it's particular, this is particularly true of companies, right? Where you have sometimes tens of thousands of employees. It is the folks that, activate others that enable others and then you know they lead when they need to lead and they're in the front of the room when they need to be in the front of the room but for the most part they're in the back of the room where they're hidden and their impact and their contribution is not it it doesn't have their signature on it necessarily Mm -hmm. and they don't care about that um and so that's what I've seen. We use a term "entrepreneur" for the corporate world, right? The mm-hmm. folks that are trying to build something new within infrastructure and that it, it you know, you have to have a little bit of ego <laughs> to mm-hmm. think you're going to be able to do it, but yeah. um, not so much that people aren't excited to follow.
1: Mm. That, that's terrific. That's a really powerful example. Um, on the flip side, when you look at emerging leaders, and especially emerging female leaders, um, what are some attributes that stand out for you or you believe are really essential to develop?
2: Emerging female leaders are about to take over the world. <laughs> they, are, they are the badasses of the world. Uh, you know, I, I'd say the, what we have undervalued in the workplace to date and that is particularly relevant for cross-sector work, for purpose-driven work, for climbing the current ladder, whatever ladder that is, is being able to truly understand where people are coming from and their motivations to understand and empathize and to maintain your ambition in that, right? Mm. Like there has been a dynamic of you can either be nice or you can be ambitious. <laughs> you can either be kind or you can climb the ladder and leave, uh, you know, the death of your colleagues in your in your path. And that's just not true. And I think what I have seen from the emerging female leaders is they they don't fall into that dynamic that some of the older women and my generation did, right? Like, mm-hmm. this is how to be a female in the workplace. This is how to climb. Uh, there's just a little bit less reverence for the structures and the silos that have kept us down. And so um, it just get on with your bad self (laughs) Um, and also think about, you know, the opportunities that might not be presented to you because it's still really, it's, it's really true that women, people of color get, um, there are less opportunities presented to them for them to grow their career. So find, find what you can um, and make sure that you're advocating for yourself for the opportunities that do exist.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. That's uh, um, it's, So important to not only um, find uh, or hand raise beyond just the keep your head down and do your job type of work. And, uh, you know, there's a term called, you know, the glamour roles, uh, which really comes down to the visible projects and the visible responsibilities that um, can accelerate your career quite a bit, but you have to hand raise and find those opportunities and go after them and take it.
2: Well, and there's such a, um, there's such a focus that I've seen in many women that are starting their career, to like, earn the work, do the Mm. work, work really hard, work longer hours, and men don't have to do that as much. Um, And so... It's a, you know, thinking really hard about what you take on and why you're taking it on or responsibilities that you're adding to your plate. I have certainly been victim of this. It's like I've gotta earn this. I've gotta like work for it and working mm-hmm. for it means putting in two years of eighty hour weeks. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, sometimes it does, right? But um, not by default. And that's how we, um, and a lot of what we talk about, I'm on a board um, with you, Women in Innovation, we, right, we talk a lot about this, about how women are, um, there's, a, there's a dedication to working hard and contributing. And that can sometimes be our greatest strength and biggest enemy at the same time.
1: Mm -hmm. There's a a term within uh, research for imposter syndrome that describes one of the archetypes as the superwoman. Mm -hmm. And the superwoman archetype is the one that is first in and last out and volunteers for everything uh, to do and is essentially wanting to contribute by just doing more than everybody else. And um, it's so often we see that happening. And um, sometimes it's a disservice to yourself because um, you might not only burn out, but you may not be able to focus on the most important things. Right, exactly. And I think crisis definitely clarifies that quite a bit, because you don't have the ability to sort of focus on 20 different things. You just have to pick your one battle and go down the path.
2: Exactly. Yeah, we all, um, the Common Impact team right now is all working from home. A lot of us have young kids that are now just running around our houses. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And it has forced a conversation around, you know, it's not about the hours that you work, it's about clarifying what our priorities are as a team Mm -hmm. and making sure that we're supporting each other and getting those priorities done. So.
1: Yeah. So um, the pandemic has not only stunned the world, but it's really stalled our way of life in so many ways, and it's affected businesses and nonprofits all over. How has it affected uh, Common Impact, and also how are you responding to that?
2: So I feel generally lucky that pro bono and skills-based volunteer programs, for the most part, translate pretty seamlessly to a virtual Environment and actually, it's uh, we've brought some new models online, like a hotline model that allows nonprofit executives to pick up the phone and get in touch with a corporate executive who has experience in financial scenario planning or crisis management. Um, So it has been almost expansive for Mm -hmm. our programming. Um, You know, I think there's a lot of trepidation around how people can engage and who, who who can engage right now, but. Uh, nonprofits really need quick support. Most nonprofit leaders have not dealt with a crisis, certainly of this scale, but most of them haven't even been through the 2008 crisis as the mm-hmm. heads of their organizations. And so, um, managing and navigating and innovating their programming is something that we're trying to really quickly respond to and support. And um, we're seeing in the nonprofit sector, there's such a difference in how organizations are being impacted because there are some organizations like the food pantries and food delivery services where the demand is skyrocketing, um, but the resources, their volunteer workforce that typically doles out all the food is, has dissipated or evaporated mm-hmm. completely. Um, And then there are some organizations like Common Impact, right, where, yeah, there are adjustments that we have to make, and it's not clear if our clients are going to be able to engage with us this year in the way that they had planned, but for the most part, our model is still intact. And we're also, of course, seeing that on the corporate side Mm -hmm. as well.
1: What um, advice would you give to corporate leaders in this time, especially when it comes to their social impact initiatives?
2: to remember that in these moments the double bottom line of societal impact and financial impact is ever more important Mm. there's a and there's an incredible pressure that corporate leaders are facing right now to meet their financial goals with the ground shifting underneath them but the societies and the communities and the regions and the towns and the cities that they're operating within could continue to need their support and if those communities don't thrive that the businesses won't thrive. So it's mm-hmm. not only of of moral imperative, but it's a real it's important to remember the long term business value in moments like this. And we got in the past ten, eleven years where we were having where we had a strong economy, we got pretty far mm-hmm. in this conversation around corporate social responsibility not just being a separate consideration but being a part of business and larry fink from blackrock saying that you know investments are going to be made in companies that think about the long term and think about sustainability and i just i hope in this moment that that holds up and that corporate leaders can can really adhere to that philosophy and to that narrative because it's more important than Mm -hmm. it ever has been.
1: True. Now when you imagine what the post-pandemic world might look like, um, what do you hope stays the same and what do you hope changes?
2: I have seen... In just a couple weeks, the lines between work and life and the different sectors blur so much more than they already had started to. And, to, you know, to our earlier conversation around millennials, part of what why millennials want social impact as part of their day job is because they don't see that really solid line between work and life. They want to bring their values to work and they want to bring what they want to work on to their life. And, um, I, you know, as we're seeing babies and kids and dogs in the background of conference calls and people are still, um, working through and making sure that those goals are met, I'd say we're going to see, I hope, less of a stigma around the professional environment and what working mothers and people who maybe haven't been brought through an undergraduate education or graduate education, their experience and their presence, uh, having a more balanced perspective on that. And I, you know, one of the things that this has, Highlighted for me is the fault lines that already exist in our society, right? Like the this pandemic is impacting Black and Brown communities far more than it's impacting White and rich communities. And um, I'm hopeful that the common humanity and the common experience will allow us to realize that these, these are not the other, <laughs> These mm-hmm. are our neighbors. These are people just like us. And when um, something like this happens, that we can all Um, come together around. I I mean, it sounds a little Pollyanna, but I really, I think this is a moment where if social sector leaders and corporate leaders can recognize that, that we have a chance to solve some of our deepest challenges on the other side of this.
1: Yeah, it definitely has presented an opportunity for a true reset and Mm -hmm. replacing it with lasting, sustainable and more socially impactful solutions. Um, there I also was a,
2: think uh, there was a Medium article I read this weekend that uh, you may have seen it that essentially said, we have the chance right now to Marie Kondo our lives. and our. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a really good way of putting it, right? It really breaks down all the things that are unnecessary. And, and I think it's, you know, for all of us, um, as we're going through the shelter in place experience, we're realizing how little we truly need and how blessed we truly are. Exactly. And, and, you know, it, it, it's an incredibly clarifying experience. You know exactly what is worth focusing on and all the things that are just noise and you don't need it anymore.
2: Exactly. 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 You know,
1: so um, I want to get into a bit about your personal experience. You're um, not only a, a senior leader and uh, running an organization, um, but you're also a mom and a board member, and you have a lot of different hats that you wear. Um, tell me about um, what helps you stay grounded and navigate through all of that as, um, as a mom, especially, you know. Mm-hmm. I,
2: I actually think being a mom is what keeps me grounded and having these other responsibilities that are not my day job, like the boards that I'm privileged to be a part of, uh, But particularly my kids, I I literally just came from a 20-minute conversation with my two-year-old son uh, where he was explaining how stinky I was and how uh, I needed to take more showers during the day. (laughs) (laughs) Which, for the record, I don't think is true, but it was a humbling experience. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, but
1: there is I not- also love when you have to leave board meetings to attend a parent-teacher conference for your two-year-old.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I know, at 9.30 at night. Uh, yeah. Pandemic. Um, yeah, you know, it's just, it, it has grounded me in my priorities and at the end of the day, what is most important to me is that I'm raising these kids to be healthy and productive members of society. And there's just, um, there's something that resets me at the end mm-hmm. of the day or at the moment at 1 30 PM when I have to stop working and take care of them. Um, and it's, it's been, you know, it's, complete chaos. I have a two-year-old and a one-year-old, but it is incredibly grounding. And so are, you know, the board positions that I have. I could very easily, without that, get too mired in common impact and the current work in the environment and the micro details and not see the themes and it really being on the board of women in innovation and another local board here in New York called fan for kids has allowed me to step out of that get out of my own head a little bit um and so again it's it's something that you know it's machinations how do you fit the hours into the day but it has been really grounding for me
1: is there a particular daily habit or um, s- something that has really, really helped you, or you know, is a success habit that you can do without?
2: Aside from a tall glass of wine at the end of the <laughs> evening. <laughs> Um, I, I actually, I meditate in two different ways. One is through a traditional meditation where at the end of each day, I'll just take 10 minutes and try to stop my mind or clear my mind. Um, and then at the beginning of the day, I do, I'm a Peloton fanatic, so I've, um, drank the Kool-Aid and I do a really hard cycling workout where I literally can't think of anything else cause it's so hard. Um, and I find that is really it's rejuvenating It makes me feel like I've invested in myself a little bit. Um, and it grounds me for the day. So that's how I bookend my day. Um, and also meditation with wine really good.
1: I was about to say, I'm trying to figure out the Peloton with wine and the meditation with wine.
2: Both work.
1: <laughs> yeah. Punctuating the day with wine is apparently the success, exactly. the key to success.
2: Right? You heard it here first, guys. <laughs>
1: <laughs> On that note, what is your advice to our listeners, our emerging female leaders, you know, Um, besides the bookending your day with wine.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What else do you need after that? (laughs) Uh, I would say to always, to never take no personally. There are a lot of reasons that people say no to you in the world. um, Most of them have to do with themselves and their own experiences and not you. And I think we as women, and I've certainly been, um, I've been victim to this, but we take no really personally and assume that we have to do more or be more or do something else um, because we're not good enough and it's just not true. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so don't, don't take no personally is my advice.
1: Thank you. That was fantastic. Um, Great parting words. Um, Daniel, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure and uh, so much fun having this chat.
2: (laughs) Thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much, Nikki, for having me.
0: and we'll be sure to address them in future episodes. If you enjoyed our show today, please subscribe and rate the podcast or just tell a friend about it. See you next episode. What if you could figure out exactly how to rise up faster in your career? Instead of wasting time on trial and error, imagine being able to pinpoint what's holding you back, where to focus your effort and how to get results quickly. That's exactly what the Beyond Barriers quiz is designed to do. You'll get your personalized score based on 25 essential elements to accelerate career success in the digital age. And you'll get a free guide with cutting edge career strategies that will help you understand how to gain momentum and dominate your career. The Beyond Barriers quiz takes just a few minutes, but it'll save you months of frustration. Go to IamBeyondBarriers.com quiz and take the quiz today.